Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I am so glad you've joined me today, and thank you for uh, tuning in. I had such an interesting conversation last week with Dr. Joel Lawrence because I ran by him, my new friend, Same Seven Questions, and we uh, had this fascinating conversation, and it went so deep and that we didn't get to all seven questions. So I said, Joel, can you come back and let's do it again? Let's uh, let's finish it and then dig deep into the first question because his insight was so Wonderful. He is uh, the executive director at the Center for Pastor Theologians. His name is Dr. Joel Lawrence. Joel, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be back. Yeah. So uh, my first question was, is man separated from God? And you dug in with us in Genesis and took us to a place that I I hadn't gone to before. Yeah. Let's recap. Yeah, yeah. So it it is an... um, I'm fascinated by the first four chapters of Genesis. As am I. What, what, what's going on there? What As the stories I. that are being told? Uh, what that's telling us about God? What that's telling us about about humanity? And what we kind of got on, into last week a little bit was what that's telling us about the sin story. And I and I said, I think sometimes we miss some pieces out of the sin story and in, in how we tell that story. And if we do that, then we're also missing some pieces out of the salvation story and how we. Tell that story. So I, I've just found in my own personal journey in, in teaching this in a classroom setting, in church settings, that uh, digging into some of the details of Genesis 3 opens up some really interesting avenues mm-hmm. into what God is doing in the world. And so, um, you know, really, before you get to Genesis 3, of course, you're in Genesis 1 and 2. And, and I think as we think about the salvation story, we have to begin with um, what was God's intent, for creating humanity. And, you know, kind of a, a fairly standard theological answer to that is God wanted us to participate in his glory. Mm-hmm. The, the God didn't need us. God didn't need to create us. He wanted to create us, not out of a lack of him, of his own, but out of a desire for us to share with him in, in his life as as participants in that. Um, and so he created humanity in, in Genesis one. Of course we, we have the story. He creates us in his image. I think a, a key part of the image, uh, understanding the image of God is that the relational component of it, that God is father, son, spirit creates us as those who can participate relationally with him, that we are, we are meant to be in fellowship with God. That's why your, your question on, are we separated from God is, is so important mm-hmm. because it's around that relational idea. So if we're we're created to be in relationship with God, that that was what it means to image God, then he puts us in his presence. That's I think what Eden really is about. It's 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 not simply about kind of the geography of the place. It's about this is where God and his image are united in perfect fellowship. Right? And so Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is, is telling that story. And then the vocation that God gives to humanity, which is to spread out uh, around the earth to perpetuate that presence of God everywhere in humans dwelling 
in God's presence. So I think as we begin the salvation story, I have found oftentimes we tend to tell the story fairly individually about I'm created by God, I'm separated from God, I'm saved by God, where I think the the inflection in Scripture is more on we. Mm-hmm. Certainly that involves me, right? but it's, it's, it's not simply about individuals. It's about a, the community. God created us in community. We're in a fellowship with God and with neighbor. Mm-hmm. Love God, love neighbor. And in doing that, then, we are participating in the glory of God. So then you come to Genesis chapter 3, and we have the story of the separation that takes place. And this is what we were digging into a little bit last yes. week. That, and I've um, studied it since, yeah. so I've got questions for you. But All right. Well, uh, let me give lead. a bit of an overview, and Please. then we can, we can dive in. So I, I think what's going on here, of course, the, the serpent comes into the garden. He's coming to, to, to Eve, and he says uh, to Eve, you, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Eve says, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. The serpent says, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And so he's making her a, a, an offer to have a different level of existence is mm-hmm. kind of the way I would interpret this, right? You're created in this human level, but you're not actually what you could be. There's something more out there for you. You can be like God. And then he defines that as knowing good and evil. And this is the piece I think that we often don't sit with and ask, what is going on with that? What are the implications of that? seems to me one of the key implications is we weren't meant to know good and evil. That's so interesting. As created beings, we weren't meant to know good and evil. We weren't meant to sit and have to navigate between the good and the evil. What were we meant to know? We were meant to know God. We were meant to be in fellowship with God, to walk with God. And as we walk with God and trust in him, we're not navigating choices between good and evil, between right and wrong. We're simply walking with God in his presence, and he's guiding us Mm -hmm. along the way. So, Joel, we're not supposed to know about good and evil, but Eve seemed to know about obedience or disobedience. Yeah. Is so that, there's a right and a wrong? Uh, there is. It, 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 so the way that I understand this, the way that I, I talk about this with um, students when they, when they raise this question is, like when my kids were younger, right, they were, they were playing in the front yard, and I said to them, don't go into the street. Um, they didn't really have a conception of, of what might happen if they went into the street. I did. Mm-hmm. Their choice shouldn't have been. It wasn't to be analyze whether or not going into the street is a good thing or a bad thing. It's dad said, don't go into the street. I am going to trust that dad has my best interests. They didn't have the total picture of all the implications of what this would mean for them. They were meant to to trust in me as the loving father who looks out for them. So I think similarly with, with Adam and Eve, they knew that they were put in a position where they were being called to walk with God, to dwell with God, to trust in God, but 
the implications of what would meant what would have what it would have meant for them not to do that. I don't know that they didn't know all of that in their minds, but the decision that they had was not what's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do here. Mm-hmm. The decision they had was trust God or trust the serpent. Mm-hmm. And I think that choice, we often think the choice that we're created with is the choice between good and evil. I, I don't think that's the choice we were created with. Yeah. The choice we were created with was trust God or or trust self or trust the serpent. All right. So you're in the garden and mm-hmm. there's a, serp, a talking serpent. <laughs> yep. Now it seems that after the serpent did what he did, uh, the Lord God said, because of this, you will crawl on your belly. So possibly the serpent was not crawling on his belly. Yeah. And so it was presenting itself in some other form other than being a snake on the ground, right? That's my understanding. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that we have a super I, clear I, picture yeah. from the text, but that's my understanding I, is that the there's a result for the serpent in this as well, which is takes a different form. Okay. Yeah. So you go back to this couple, there's two people on earth and they're being presented with something. And where is Adam in this conversation? You know, if, if somebody, if a Boy Scout comes and says, do you want to buy a Christmas wreath for your door? Yeah. Don't you say, well, let me check with my wife real quick yeah. to see if yeah. we haven't already ordered one. Yeah. It, the, the, Where's the conversation between these two? It's not recorded. The indication here seems to be Adam's right there. Okay. Right. That, that Adam is, is with her. Cause as soon as she takes of the tree of the fruit of the tree, she then offers it to Adam and he takes it. it there isn't any indication in the narrative that he was somewhere else. Okay. And then he came back. Okay. So I, I think I think the the culpability here is on both of them. Eve is kind of the lead character in terms of the dialogue with the serpent, but it's not I think that Adam was somewhere else and then he came back and stumbled across this scene. He is he is implicated here yeah. just in the same so the totality of humanity, which is what the image of God represents, male and female, the totality of humanity is implicated in this act of rebellion. Mm-hmm. It just seems that Adam could have stepped up at the time and said, whoa, whoa, whoa hang on, Eve. Yep. We, we are under instruction not to eat of this, yeah. this fruit. He, he could have. He, I know. He didn't. I get um, it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, one of the people who talks about this is, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who we've talked about before in the past. Um, and the way that Bonhoeffer interprets this is the moment that Eve and, by implication, Adam entertained the possibility is the moment that they doubted God's mm. word. It wasn't the the biting into the fruit, whatever it was, that was the moment. It was at the moment where they entered a conversation with the serpent and, and started to kind of think about this and navigate this and, 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 and start kind of sitting in that place of, well, what should we do here? What is the right thing? At that moment, they've already lost their, mm. their obedience, their, their trust. Yeah. God. And now they're pondering other possibilities that put them in this godlike position that sounds very attractive to them. And as Satan often does, gives us a promise that ends up not delivering what it is that he said would come from well, that. Well promise. said. Well said, Dr. Joel Lawrence. He's the executive director of the Center for Pastor Theologians. We're talking about new friends, same seven questions, because we did not complete all the questions last time and guess what we're not going to do it this time either i'm pretty sure but we're going to come back and continue our discussion in genesis chapter three in just a minute
Okay, here's something exciting. When you sponsor a child with the Ministry One Child, you are linked with a boy or a girl who will know you by name and treasure the thought that you care. Most of them will pray for you daily. And if you write them, they'll write you too. The child you sponsor will receive not only educational assistance, but supplemental food, clothing, healthcare services, and opportunities for personal love and encouragement, and most of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The cost is just $39 a month. That's just a little more than a dollar a day. You can't necessarily change the entire world, but what if you can change the world for one person? Sponsor a child now at MyFaithRadio.com. I will tell you what I did during the break. I took a sip of water, and then I offered uh, water to my guest, Dr. Joel Lawrence, and he refused. (laughs) Doesn't want to change the chemistry of the zone he's in right now, which is fascinating. But we are talking about, uh, is man separated from God? That was the first question in our series of New Friends, Same Seven Questions. And when I had Joel on last week, we just didn't get it finished. So we're going to continue to not get it finished in this next 10 minutes. Uh, and you said something during the break, uh, which you did instead of drinking your bottle of water. And Rosie said, you must repeat that. So, yeah, I, I, we were talking about the the responsibility here, yes. right? And, and I think what— Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve yes, responsibility, responsibility. And mutual responsibility here. And I think sometimes the way that Genesis 3 gets gets interpreted is— once in church history, and you can see this, it, it oftentimes becomes a way to demean women. It oftentimes becomes a way to blame men. And I think what's important here is what we see is a mutual responsibility. And if Adam and Eve as male and female here are representative of the, of the entire human race, which I think is how they're depicted in this, these first chapters of Genesis, they're kind of the head of the human race. I think one of the key stories that is being told here about humanity is that the desire in all human beings to seek to move beyond what we were created to be in a sinful, rebellious way to try to claim life in places that, that we can't get it in our failure to trust that God has given us life and that God will give us that life. So I think it's important as we it can be easy to kind of like try to parcel out blame. What did Eve do? What did Adam do? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's just the story is telling us there is a mutual failure here. And that is representative of the, the totality of, of human life in rebellion against God. Mm-hmm. And when they realized they were naked, yeah, uh, who were they ashamed in front of God? Because certainly not each other, right? No, I think both. I think both. <laughs> okay. So this is no. This is a really interesting. This is a really interesting point, um, and it, and it tracks with this this knowledge of good and evil, and okay. how that connects into this. So, so yeah, a little bit later on in the story, um, God says, you know, the Lord God called to to the man, "Where are you?" He answered, "I heard you were in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid." And then in verse eleven, it says. Who told you that you were naked? Which is a really interesting question. It is. Because I think we tend to kind of know 
when we're naked, right? We, we, we generally have a have a knowledge that. Yeah. that. So, make, Rosie, make a note. Joel said something really, <laughs> really <laughs> important. It is noted. That's really yeah, profound. Like. <laughs> yes. Yes. But if you don't, if you remember one thing from today, yeah. you know, <laughs> No. Um, but he asks, "Who told you?" Mm-hmm. Which indicates before that they weren't focused on themselves. Mm-hmm. Like their their attention wasn't on themselves. Why? Because they were created to dwell in the presence of God and in the presence of the neighbor. They were they were outward facing, right? They they were they were selves, but their attention was on God and their attention was on the neighbor, on the other. And so what happens when we take on the knowledge of good and evil is we turn from being outward facing people, loving God, loving neighbor, to now being turned in on ourselves. I think I might have said this last week. Martin Luther has this phrase. The heart turned in on itself, that this is the human condition in our rebellion against God. Because we're no longer free to love God and love neighbor. Now we're turned in on ourselves. And what happens when we get turned in on ourselves is we know that we're guilty. We know that, that, that we have transgressed. And, and now what we're having to do is cover, which is exactly what they do. They, you know, physically, they need to be covered. God, in his grace, covers them. But that covering is, I think, a really deep kind of psychological, mm, spiritual psychological thing that's going on. What we all do to cover ourselves, what we all do in our self-protection now, we're not free to love our neighbor in the way that God created us to be. We're not free to love God in the way that we were created to. Now we have all kinds of props that we use to present the person that we want to present. <laughs> yeah. We have all kinds of ways that we go about hiding that shame and, and now hiding the inner self because when we turn into ourselves, we we get into an an improper a, a, a relationship with ourselves that we weren't intended to have. We weren't created to be in that kind of an inward turn. And that brings, again, all kinds of implications spiritually, psychologically, socially. Hmm. But there's a lot in Genesis 3, isn't there? There's a whole lot there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And another, another point I'd make is I, I think um, it, it really, and Bonhoeffer talks about this too, he, he perceives this as this is where the, our conscience is created, that conscience is not something we were created with originally. We are created to be in relationship with God. What happens when we, when we turn to ourselves is now, rather than being in a right relationship with God and being kind of turned toward him, now we're in an internal dialogue with ourself around the knowledge of good and evil, and that conscience is that internal dialogue with ourself. So the way that I think about this is conscience is the opposite of prayer. So prayer, not just think about prayer as folding our hands and closing our eyes and asking for stuff, but prayer in a more in a in its broader biblical sense, which is being aware that we're in the presence of God and being attuned to God, when you lose that prayerful life, which I think is what Genesis one and two, we see Adam and Eve walking in the garden with God, being in his presence. Mm-hmm. Now they have turned in on themselves. And now instead of being in a dialogue with God, relational fellowship with him. Now they're in a dialogue with themselves. And that's navigating now through my own knowledge of good and evil. How am I going to make my way through the world? And that's an existence that we weren't intended to have. 
That's an, that's an existence that we weren't meant to have. That's a weight we weren't meant to bear because we were supposed to walk in the freedom of being in God's presence and he will guide us through. That's profound. That's almost more profound than you know when you're naked. Yes, good, good, good. We're getting some good stuff out yeah, of this. Yeah, you, you're crushing it today, you Dr. Joel Lawrence. Uh, so thank you for that. Yeah. Anything else we want to mine out of uh, Genesis 3? You know, I, I think just uh, you know, as it goes on in, in the, the curse of God in, in Genesis three. Um, one of the things I think we often see is that there is the, there's the breakdown in relationships here. That's what's really going on. This is what sin does. It breaks our relationship to God. It breaks our relationship to neighbor, but it also breaks our relationship to the, to the creation, to the created order. So now work is going to be laborious, right? And mm-hmm. you're going to have to earn their living by the sweat of their brow, the earth will produce thorns and thistles for them. So when when you see what's the implications of Genesis 3 is that's pronounced in the curse, it's like this cosmic breakdown that happens that is, I think, so profound for our understanding of, of the world today and, and what what sin does to not just us in kind of our our own individual lives, even our relationships, but but what it does to the very creation itself, which is why I think we see later uh, in Romans chapter eight, and then of course in Revelation, the healing of the earth is a significant part of the salvation story and what God is is doing through His grace through the through Christ through the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So when it says "cursed is the ground because of you." through painful toil. Yeah. Uh, are, are you saying to me that I have a cush job at Faith Radio? Is that what you're saying? I feel like that's what you're saying. Of all the jobs, this is this is probably this is a pretty good one. So well, I've got a pretty a, good one too. This is a, a really good, good job. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Dr. Joel Lawrence is my guest. All right, Joel, I have failed miserably in trying to get through all seven questions because we only have a couple minutes left. So maybe I we I can do one more. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And then we'll just get you back again. So um has God has not has God given us all we need for life and godliness as believers. Yeah, I, I think uh, th- that is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And, it, and, th- and this connects into this, this story. I mean, we, the salvation story, right? What God has done. I, I think one of the ways to understand the coming of the Holy Spirit and the spirits coming into our lives is that this is the capacity now that God has given us through his grace to once again be in his presence, to walk with him. That the Spirit is the the means by which we are being made one with God again, made one with neighbor again. And so I, I think the, the most important thing that God has given us for life and salvation is, is he's given us his Holy Spirit. And the Spirit, as we rely upon the Spirit, as we trust in the Spirit, as we don't try to navigate through our own knowledge of good mm. and evil, but rather walk by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit— then it is through that that God delivers salvation, which is himself. Salvation is the presence of God. It is to be united back to him. And and so the, the grace of God has been poured out upon us in the pouring out of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost and then the Spirit's work in the church. Mm-hmm. That's It's been really nice having you back. And thank you for continuing and to do a deeper dive into question one, which was, is man separated from God? And I thought... Uh, you did a really nice job of uh, not only uh, explaining, but recapping and giving us a lot to think about. So thank you once again for being here, Dr. Joel Lawrence. My pleasure. Thanks yeah. for having me. All right. I'm going to have to process this a little bit more tonight on my own. I think, Rosie, you too, huh? 
Yeah. Absolutely. I can't wait to listen to this back. So good. So good. All right. We're going to take a break and then we're going to talk um, about discovering security in the radiance of God's character. Now, I never get tired of talking about God's character. And the book is called The Lighthouse. We'll be right back. All right, here's a question. How do we find comfort and security in an insecure world? Hmm. Uh, My guest would say, well, we're going to see God's character in his word and in his creation and in the trials of life. We will get a better understanding when we study and learn about the attributes of God and how they provide us encouragement and strength in difficult times. Glenn Damon is my guest. He's written a book called The Lighthouse, Discovering Security in the Radiance of God's Character. Boy, do I love that title. Glenn, welcome. Well, thank you. Good to be a part of the show. Well, I'm so glad. Um, Let me just give my audience a little bit more about you. You've um, spent a lot of time in rural ministry. Yeah, that's been the kind of the bulk of my ministry is uh, small churches, writing about small churches, and trying to encourage small church pastors. Yeah, I love that. So let's um, get to the lighthouse and let's talk about our uh, how does our understanding of God change our perspective of the world in which we are living? Well, the answer to that is everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, the lighthouse was originally. I, I wrote it in the context of COVID, uh, when COVID hit and our church was facing, you know, the shutdown that we all faced. Uh, my next message was going to be on the uh, tithing and the importance of giving, and I thought, well, that doesn't work very good when everything's everybody's world is thrown into confusion. And so uh, I started writing then and preaching on the attributes of God uh, and writing about it just to encourage people in daily devotionals. And so uh, that's the context that it kind of developed. But as I really have thought about it and put it in a book form in terms of daily devotionals, I've realized, you know, this really is the chief problem uh, in the church today. We don't, we really have a theological problem. And that's really in our understanding of who God is. So, uh, Glenn, I, I I love that, and I, I love the way you've laid the book out, and you are um, thorough, and you're biblical, and so thank you for all of that. But there are so many people I know going through difficulty right now, and times of difficulty, and how would the character of God and even some of the teaching in your, your book help people understand that they they can have hope and security in in times of difficulty? Well, I think it begins by, first of all, the nature of God is our North Star. I mean, it's, he's, 
he is what gives us perspective. Uh, and when we lose that, when we we get our focus off of God, we no longer have any clarity of life. And we become driven by our popular culture. And that's kind of where we're at today. Uh, because it really goes back to what is God's purpose for us? We think that God's purpose for us is freedom from adversity, giving us happiness. But when we look in the pages of Scripture, we see that really his purpose is defined by his character. That uh, the Westminster's Convention, Confession says, you know, what is the chief end of man? And the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And if you look in, in the writings of Paul, you see here's a man who understood suffering. Uh, he understood the reality far more than any of us. And yet that's not what his focus was upon. His focus was upon uh, the person of God and getting to know him. Philippians 3, you know, talks about that, where he says, you know, I count all things but loss that I may know Christ and be found in him. So that really, I think, is the starting point, uh, because we live in a culture today, a culture of fear. Uh, you think about our, our politics today, and it's a politics of fear. The way you galvanize the political uh, electorate is you you create fear of the opposing party. And and so we we see that in our culture. We see a fear of the global warming, a fear of of what's going to happen. And really it boils down to back to our relationship with God that he's in control, uh, that he controls the universe and that he is the one who is sovereign in all these things. Uh, I think of Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, where he says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish my purpose. So I think that's where we have to start. As we look at our life and our experience, does it start with an understanding that God's in control and he's exercising that control? No. Outstanding. Dr. Glenn Damon is my guest. His book is called The Lighthouse, Discovering Security in the Radiance of God's Character. There's a, a, I'd love a, a little excerpt from the book, if you wouldn't mind, Glenn. I, I, I love Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, for I, the Lord, do not change. And you talk about the unchanging God and the God who always forgives. Would you give us a little... Um, a little uh, background on that verse and, and the excerpt from the book. Well, certainly I think that we live in a culture that's constantly changing, and our view of God today is that he's changing, that the God of the Old Testament is changing into a different God in the New Testament. So, you know, we look at the the wrath of God and the justice of God that we see expressed in the Old Testament, and then we start to say, well, that's not the God of the New Testament. Well, it is. It's the same God. He doesn't change. Mm -hmm. And not only does he, does he not change, but his ways and his purpose that he established from eternity past, that hasn't changed. And so the, the unchangeable, the immobility of God uh, not only relates to his character— but it also relates to his promises and his purposes that uh, his plans are always the same. And 
he's going to accomplish that. And so we have joy and confidence both in what Scripture has said in the past and how it gives us really a, a presence and a context for the future in, in the world in which we're living. You, so. say, you, you say that, and I love this, he is the same God who has pledged his faithfulness to us and his commitment to accept us back into fellowship no matter how great our sin. And you quote 1 John 1, 9, which is the first scripture verse I ever memorized. <laughs> well, that's a good one. But yeah, you're right. I mean, if God, does it, if God can change, then his promises are no longer valid. Yeah, good how do point. You know, how do we know that the promises of salvation are true? Uh, but as we look at he, that he fact that he will not change and his purpose will not change, his word is 100% true that we can we can trust and we can bank on it. We can take those promises that he made to his people in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we can apply them to our life with that same level of confidence. Um and I think that's what gave, you know, Paul such confidence in, in the midst of his sufferings. You know, he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, because he understood that the power of God is operating in his life, and that same power is operating in our life as well. Dr. Glenn Damon, his book is The Lighthouse, and in his, in his book he says, in times of adversity and difficulties, we should pause and reevaluate our relationship with God, it is a time for spiritual reflection to ensure that we are walking in obedience to God and fellowship with Him. And I love that you're bringing back into focus, uh, examining ourselves to see if we are walking in obedience to God, because He never changes. And today you have that, you have the promise that He is always ready to restore and forgive even our greatest sins. So, um, a great reminder, Glenn. Well, it is, and it's, uh, you know, we look at his mercy and his grace, and I think sometimes that we fail to recognize he gives that freely and unconditionally, and it really becomes evident sometimes in our suffering, um, because suffering, you know, suffering is a tool that he uses, uh, and if we go back to the to the nature of God and his sovereignty, uh we can recognize that God has not caused the cause of suffering, but he's the orchestrator of suffering. In other words, he doesn't cause bad things to happen. We chose sin. Sin entered the world. Uh, we are paying the consequences of that in, in this broken world. But he is still greater than that in his sovereignty that he can control uh, the events in such a way that he's still accomplishing his good out of it. And I go back to, to what Paul says in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. Now, he doesn't say all things are good. Uh, bad things are never good. But he orchestrates all things to accomplish an eternal good. And that also even takes us to the wisdom of God. When we think about the, the wisdom that he he knows all things. He knows all things potential. He knows all possible outcomes. He knows the best way to achieve those outcomes. And so in his wisdom, he chooses that. And even though that may involve suffering, the outcome 
is still perfect. Mm-hmm. Dr. Glenn Damon is my guest. Uh, Glenn, how does the study of the attributes shift the focus of the meaning of worship and how we worship God today? I think we live in a culture today where we, we kind of have what I call a smorgasbord God. Uh, we approach God in our worship and we, we kind of go through, you know, like a smorgasbord where you go through and, you know, I hit the dessert table first because that's the good stuff. You know, may hit some steak, may hit some some fish, but, you know, bypass the, you know, the, the Brussels sprouts and the steak <laughs> you don't like. Mm-hmm. Well, we tend to do that in our worship of God. We focus upon a- aspects of his attributes that we find uh, comfortable with, you know, his love, his grace, his mercy. But we overlook other attributes such as his justice and his holiness and his righteousness, and we don't celebrate those. And worship is acknowledging him in the totality of his character, not just in those attributes that we like. I just did a, uh, I just kind of looked this this afternoon on the top four worship songs uh, from 2021. And they're good worship songs. I don't have any problem with that. But every one of them focus upon what God has done for us. And I think we have lost that aspect of worship saying, we're here to worship him for who he is, not Mm -hmm. just what he does for us. Because when we, it's, focus only upon what he's done for us, we become man-centered in our worship rather than God-centered. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want to be consumers. We want to be worshipers of God. Yeah, and and even in the... I'm going through Leviticus right now, which is, you know, that's that's the, the thrilling chapter of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting. It starts off, and and you have the the sacrifices, and the the third sacrifice is a fellowship sacrifice that they were to, to come and offer, and it was a celebration of the fellowship that they have with him. And that's something I think we 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 overlook. We focus upon the redemptive work and the transformational work of God, but we lose sight that He just wants to have fellowship with us, and that we can just enjoy Him and enjoy him for who he is. And so to me, that becomes the heart of worship that uh, we're delighting in him and we're learning to delight in him. Uh, You know, Psalms 37 verse four says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We kind of sometimes I think use that as a blank check and say, you know, well, we delight in the Lord, he'll do whatever we ask him. And we miss the whole point. Delight yourself in the Lord, and what becomes your desire of your heart is not now the things of this world. It's him. Uh, He's the one that becomes our delight. And so he becomes our desire, and he gives himself to us so that now we get to delight in him. Mm. Really nice. Dr. Glenn Damon is my guest. His book is called The Lighthouse, Discovering Security in the Radiance of God's Character. We're going to take a little break and we'll be right back with Glenn.
Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. My guest is Dr. Glenn Damon. He's written a book called The Lighthouse, Discovering Security in the Radiance of God's Character. And the purpose of the book is is not to paint a a rose-colored picture of life, but to see the trials and suffering through the lens of God's character so that you'll not only have a better understanding of why you might be suffering, but also of the one who has absolutely created everything in the universe and will always be guiding our daily lives. And that is a source of great comfort. And I hope uh, you, you you see it that way. So, uh, Glenn, when I think of the way in which God's character has been distorted in the world today, I didn't, don't even know where to begin. Oh, I tell you, it, it really, um, I think we have lost sight of, of God. And, and it's not surprising uh, because it really goes to the heart of our sin nature. Uh, Stephen Charnock, if he wrote a massive two-volume work on the existence and attributes of God, and and uh, he spends time in the first part of that talking about practical atheism, huh. and he makes this statement that uh, is is just profound. He said, "There is something of a secret atheism in all." Not an utter disowning of the being of God, but a denial or doubting of some of the rights of his nature. Practical atheism is not the absolute disowning of God. Rather, it is the inconsideration or misrepresentation of his nature. Mm. Uh, That's a a profound statement, and I think he's right, that we— in our in our sinful nature and in, in our human nature, uh, struggle to really understand who God is, and part of it is we live one we live in a fallen world where we distort God just by our sin nature, but also because we live in we're finite, and how does how does the the finite understand the infinite? Well, we do so by making the infinite finite. Uh, words we we try to bring God down to to our level and uh, so we tend to to put ourselves and view him as we view ourselves rather than view ourselves as we from him uh, so you know we we distort uh, and we we minimize God we make him more human uh, rather than the God of the universe. Uh, and, and I think there's, there's if I, as I look at scripture and look at human nature, you know, I think there's two aspects of his nature that we just don't get a hold of. Uh, and I don't. I mean, Paul says we look through a glass, you know, dimly now. We're, you know, we're trying to understand who God is through this veil of our, of our human world. 
Um, but I think the two aspects that I'd say that we struggle most with, and, and it really relates to our perspective of suffering, is the first is the immen immensity of God. Uh, you know, how big God really is in his character. Uh, if you, if you, I enjoy taking pictures of the Milky Way just because you go out there at night and you, the, the camera captures the incredible display of the Milky Way that my eye can't see. And, you know, the James Webb telescope is the new one that they've launched, and it's identified the furthest star, which is estimated to be 28 billion light years away. Now, kind of get our minds grasped around that. If you go around the Earth seven times in one second, and now multiply that by 28 billion years, that's how far we'd have to get to reach that furthest star. And yet the Bible says in Isaiah that he measures the universe with the span of his hand. Uh, and, and here we are, and, and we look at all the issues that we're facing in life, and we fail to grasp how really big he really is in his nature. Uh, because when, when our God becomes small, we start to humanize him. And then uh, when he becomes small, our problems become big. When, when we realize the immensity of God, that he's in control of all this, and he is so much bigger than we can imagine, then why do we worry? You know, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make a request known to God. Well, if we understood really who he was, we would, that verse would not be a hard verse to implement. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it is, you know, because we all struggle with that. Uh, and then the other aspect I think that we struggle with in terms of understanding God is his absolute holiness. Uh, you know, if, if we were to, to look at how we worship God today, it's, you know, God is love. And that's the attribute that we use to define all of God. Uh, you know, as we think about the moral questions of today, you know, that people turn and they say, well, God is, God is love. Jesus told us to love one another. And as if that's the only attribute. But in the scriptures, the one attribute that really seems to be the one that's celebrated in heaven is his holiness. You know, Isaiah chapter 6, we see this picture of the holiness of God, that they're proclaiming his holiness in this anthem of praise that shakes the, the threshold of the, the temple there. And we see it in the book of Revelation. Uh, and that's what gives us that, that awareness that God is untainted by sin. He's absolutely pure. He's untainted by any error, uh, any falsehood. He's absolutely pure. And because of that, we can trust in him mm -hmm. and all of his attributes. So, Glenn, if we, if we fail to fully understand God's character, like his holiness, how is that going to affect our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus today? Well, it really, when we think about Christ, if he is fully God, and Paul tells us he is in, in uh, Colossians, that he is the exact representation of God. If we 
minimize who God is, we're going to minimize who Christ is. You know, we, we tend to humanize God, and it's certainly true with Christ. We tend to end up humanizing him. And he is fully human, but we, we tend to look at him fully human like us, but he's also fully God. And so in our in our understanding of Christ, we need to recognize that he is uh, 100% God, possessing all the attributes of God. Then from that context, it becomes even a greater marvel when it says that he took on the form of a, of a servant. And so when we, we realize this is God himself, the God of the universe, the God who measures the universe with the span of his hand, took on our form to become one of us. And the way I look at this, this whole process, we were created in his image. We rejected that image and tried to usurp our own. And God in his grace then did something even more incredible than in give us his image. He then took on our image so that we might again reflect his image. And that's just something that I don't think we'll ever grasp until we get to heaven. No. The of that. Yeah, I would agree. So your, your book, uh, Daily Devotionals, and you're going to delight in the wonder of God, and you're going to explore the mysteries of God's attributes. And I think we should all be focusing on worshiping him for his attributes. I think it would strengthen your walk with him. Would you agree, Dr. Glenn Damon? Absolutely. I know it has mine. Oh, good. Uh, you know, that really the book is kind of more of my own journey of really meditating and com- and contemplating the attributes of God and how it's changed my own life and my own perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd be the first to admit, you know, I'm in this journey. And uh, intellectually, you know, I've done, I've studied theology and intellectually I can understand it, but uh, you know, I look forward to heaven when I get to walk into the presence of the Lord and say, ah, now I finally get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's where we're all at. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show, and I hope you have a wonderful evening. Well, thank you for having me. You bet. Dr. Glenn Damon's been my guest. Again, his book is called The Lighthouse, Discovering Security and the Radiance of God's Character. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. I've loved being with you, and I hope you have a wonderful night. I look forward to being with you tomorrow. See you then. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.